Welcome to the Italian Financial Advisor podcast, exploring all aspects of your financial life in Italy. I'm Andrew Lawford with the Spectrum IFA Group. Now I know that it has been a while since I released my last podcast, but I do hope that you'll find this one worth the wait. We're going to delve into buying property in Italy, something that will almost certainly be of interest to anyone considering living here. The phenomenon of falling property prices in many areas has likely accelerated in recent months, so if you've been waiting for the right moment, this could be it. Just let me paint a picture for you. You're sitting overlooking a stunning landscape and drinking the kind of wine that refuses to stop at one glass, and all of a sudden you start thinking about how you'd like this to be part of your daily life and not just a treat for the holidays. You start poking around in real estate agencies and soon enough you find yourself out visiting properties. If you were in your home country, you would have a fair idea of the process involved in purchasing property or you could at least ask friends or family for help. But in Italy, where do you start? The risk is that you get carried away in the heat of the moment and maybe miss out on better opportunities elsewhere in the country, or end up signing a document that commits you to a transaction you haven't really thought through properly. Buying real estate in Italy is potentially quite difficult, but in this podcast I've decided to try and set out a few of the ground rules to make sure that you understand how to protect your interests from the very start. I'll also introduce you to someone who will help you to get the best property for your money, potentially saving you weeks, if not months, of legwork. This episode is going to be a bit longer than usual, but buying a property is one of the most important decisions you can make, so I hope you'll find it a good investment of your time. If you're well prepared, there is no reason that you can't have a lot of fun when buying a property in Italy. Like so many things, the groundwork you put in at the beginning will pay dividends when serious decisions have to be made. Real estate agents everywhere can be more concerned with getting a deal done than in understanding what you want and finding you the best value for your money. Of course, there are also many highly professional agents, but even the best will be limited to a given area and so will not be able to provide a broad overview of what is available in the market. Italy is hardly a huge country, But it is one of the most diverse in terms of geography and culture, so whatever you are looking for is likely to be available somewhere in the peninsula and its islands. Getting a true overview of what is available is time-consuming, and likely to be quite difficult unless you really can be itinerant for a year or more in order to explore all of the nooks and crannies of the country. I came across someone who understood this challenge, and... After an initial experience working for an international real estate agency in Italy, decided to make a business out of it. Her name is Nikki Taylor, and she runs a property consultancy business. Not a real estate agency, mind you, but I'll let her explain. First, though, for any of you connoisseurs of Antipodean accents, you get two for the price of one in this interview, because I'm a New Zealander and Nikki is Australian. Anyway, over to her. No, I'm not an agent and I'm not an agent by choice because I want to be completely independent for my clients. So my um, background is when I was working um, in both England Volkers and for a company down in Puglia, I was managing the international client transactions 
and I was coming across, you know, a lot of overseas buyers that were really interested in buying property in Italy but had a lot of fears around that and understandably so because there are a lot of horror stories you hear about, you know, foreign people being ripped off, um, unscrupulous estate agents. They, they weren't sure who they could trust from a legal perspective, um, accounting perspective, you know, how they could transfer their money across easily. So it kind of dawned on me, what if I created a coaching program? Let's hear a bit more about how the coaching program works. Okay, so I do a three-day kind of intro course, which is kind of like a lead into my paid course. But the three-day course is a free course, um, talking a bit about where in Italy to buy, north versus the south, you know, what are the pros and cons for both regions, you know, both parts of the country. We talk about, you know, what are the common misconceptions that people have about purchasing property in Italy? What are the common mistakes that people come across and how you can avoid them? We talk about how to plan a successful buying trip, talk a bit about holiday rentals. We tap into a little bit about the one euro homes. Um, Yes, it's quite a mixed bag of um, topics. Moving on from the free introductory course, Nikki's paid course includes her working with you on a one-to-one basis to help you identify properties that correspond to your particular criteria. What do they want to incorporate into their new kind of life in Italy? What do they want to leave behind from their existing life in their own country? Um, And then what is it that they're really, really looking for? And then I can give them various different options. I would go away and do some property finding for them and then present them with a report. If they wanted me to, you know, help act on their behalf and deal with the agent, obviously because I speak Italian, I can do that as well. So it's it's really quite flexible. And one of the recently launched services that Nikki provides that I think is really attractive, even for people who are, for the time being, just daydreaming about buying a property in Italy, is a monthly digest of 100 listed properties that Nikki has selected as offering great value for money. But I'll let her describe it. We are in a buyer's market, so I've created this new project called La Dolce Vita on a shoestring where I present my clients um, who sign up to a paid newsletter subscription um, with 100 properties a month, whether it be excellent for holiday rental or um, for personal use or, you know, there are some absolute bargains out there. So as I said before, one of my passions is to really trawl through all the, the property portals and things like that. And it, it does take a lot of, you know, it, t- it takes a lot of time to put together, to be quite honest. But it also, um, it takes the the guessing game out for the clients. Yes, I know looking at properties is fun, but the amount of time people send me properties, what do you think about this one? And I'm like, no, that's not really, you know, if you're looking for this, 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 this and this, this house is not going to give you that. So it kind of, you know, they're kind of benefiting from my years of experience in real estate and holiday rentals, getting, you know, these properties sent to them every single month um, and that is launching on the 1st of August. It's worth mentioning that the properties Nikki selects are typically not in need of huge amounts of renovation work. So in many cases, they will only need some TLC and your own personal touches. Having services available like the ones Nikki provides means that you can effectively concentrate on the fun part. Because let's not forget that buying a house in Italy can be quite fun, especially when it gets to the negotiation phase. We discussed that as well as touching on the fact that now is a great time to be looking for a property in Italy. 
you know, Italians, they love to bargain. So it's part of the fun of the whole, the transaction. I always find the negotiation part the most exciting part because you can really start to play around with some money and, and really start to get things um, at, a, at a really good price. I mean, I was, you know, recommending some of my clients the other day. They, they put an offer in a property in Perugia and I said, right, don't offer this, offer this, and it was much less and they got it at that price. Okay, and th- but this probably feeds into the fact that um, that today we're in a buyer's market. We were talking mm-hmm. about this before. Can you just t- tell us what you what you mean? I mean, we we all have a, our conception of what a buyer's market is. What, what what is it when you're on the ground? What is it that you're seeing? I think probably you just gave an example. Somebody sort of sending in a fairly low offer and it got accepted. So people are keen to sell, and there are not too many buyers around. But just just explain what it is that you're seeing generally in the market at the moment. Well, I had the privilege of interviewing the president of FIAP um, about a month ago, and FIAP is the, the Real Estate Federation Association of, of, uh, of Italy, and we were talking about the market, and he said, yes, it's definitely a buyer's market. The price is going to drop around 4%. But what I'm seeing is, you know, going through the property portals is something that's a massive passion of mine, and I'm seeing prices that I've never seen before. So there are some really, really, really good bargains to be had right now. Um, It is, you know, the the foreign interest in Italy has not dwindled at all. Just as an aside, I'm always amazed to see real estate agents where I live that have photos of listings outside their offices which have been faded by the sun, a sure sign that the seller has unrealistic expectations and that you should never assume that the asking price is anywhere near the market price. Next, we discussed some of the pitfalls that people get caught out by. But before we get to that, I thought I'd mention something that surprised me when I came to buy a property here. Real estate agents typically will expect to be paid by both the buyer and the seller in a transaction, and their rates were quite high compared to what I was used to. 3 to 4% is common, and Nikki tells me that even 5% is not unheard of, with little scope for negotiation. Although, of course, you can always try. So back to those pitfalls. I asked Nikki about some of the common problems that people encounter when purchasing a property in Italy. And the first one that she mentioned, which we'll also hear more about later, are buildings that don't have the required permits for all or part of the structures present on site. So what I find that I come across in a very, that's very common is that properties might have been built illegally they might have had an illegal renovation put on them. They and then if the the, the the potential buyer buys that property not knowing that they inherit that problem, which they also inherit the fine that comes with fixing that problem. You're just reminding me of when this was, <laughs> this was many years ago. But when my wife and I were looking to, for for our place, we didn't end up we didn't end up buying the place that I'm going to tell you about. But we, when we went to see it, the owner was there, and as we walked around the place, he kept pointing place and he said now you see this bit over here said it's here but it's not here and and I couldn't figure out what he was talking about but he was talking about this right he said well I've built some stuff which actually which I don't have any permit for and I'm expecting you to pay for it as if it was all perfect um but actually well I suppose I I suppose he did me the favor of alerting me to the fact that there was um that there was something that is quite rare that he did you that favor because otherwise you would have been you know taking I mean I've seen you know cases where people have bought properties because they wanted a pool and the pool was put in illegally. 
and all of a sudden they've paid this property, paid for the pool, and they've had to pay a fine and then also paid have the pool ripped out. So I think we can all agree that buying a property with a pool and then not only being fined for having the pool but also having to pay to get rid of it is something that one should try to avoid. We'll get to how to avoid this kind of situation soon. But first, I discussed some people I know who got caught in a very unusual situation. These were people that I knew who fell in love with a place in Sicily by the seaside, um, and, but they were there in winter. And, um, and when they came back in summer, they found that just in front of their place, so, sort of, so basically blocking the sea view and the access to the sea was one of these banyu, you know, where they had all the umbrellas and all that sort of thing. In the winter, you couldn't see it at all because it was completely dismantled. But in the summer, there was loud music and all of these people there and stuff. And so it sort of, I wouldn't say it ruined their property, but it certainly wasn't what they were expecting. How mm-hmm. do you, do you have to go and visit these places, you know, at different seasons in order to understand what they're like? How do you guard yourself um, against this kind of problem well this is the thing you, you know this is why doing some due diligence is always you know really really um p- paramount i mean i would always recommend any person that's looking to buy a property they get legal due diligence done on the property beforehand so they find out is there any you know the surroundings is there any um problems with the title is there any you know is there multiple owners and things like that Legal due diligence is is absolutely key because you're going in blind otherwise. You can find all of Nikki's contact details in the show notes, but it's worth mentioning that she has also published a couple of books as well, the first being an introduction to the process of buying property in Italy and the second a collection of 12 stories of Australians who have come to live here. Plenty of interesting information available, so I recommend you spend some time looking at what Nikki offers. Her main website is italy-propertyconsulting.com, but see the show notes for further details. Before we finished our interview, I asked for a tip about places where she is seeing great bargains. Here's what she said. I've seen some quite a few properties in Umbria that have blown my mind. And even quite a few in Tuscany, some beautiful properties in Tuscany, you would think you'd be surprised how many little gems are lurking around in these Tuscan hills that are really quite um, reasonably priced. Reasonably priced gems in Tuscany and Umbria sound good to me. So next I spoke with Jessica Zama, a qualified lawyer in Italy and the UK who works with Buckles Solicitors. You might recall that we heard from her in the podcast on Trusts. We talked through the whole process once you have found the property that you want to buy. Essentially, we can break it down into four parts. The initial offer, the preliminary contract, surveyor's report, and completion. Now, the thing is that not all of these steps are actually necessary. You could, for example, skip the preliminary contract if both you and the seller were ready to complete straight away and there were no complications with the property. But in most cases, you will find all these steps necessary. The surveyor's report might not actually be a legal requirement in all cases, but as you've already heard and will hear again, it is quite a good idea to get one, even before you put in the initial offer. So let's start with this initial offer, which will generally be in a format proposed by the real estate agent. But don't get carried away. 
because this is a legally binding document and it is wise to get it checked over by a lawyer before signing it. So if you are going through an estate agent, the first thing that you will need to do and you will be asked to do is lodge a formal offer with the price that you want to pay for that property. And uh, that will be done by the estate agents who will draft this document. And in that offer will be the price that you're willing to pay, the amount of deposit that you're putting down that you will have to send with that offer. And there will be other clauses which are binding, which we'll we'll perhaps uh, talk about later. So sometimes this offer is quite complicated and sometimes it's very simple. Either way, it is important that someone checks over it because this contract is binding. So the consequences of making an offer, which you subsequently do not follow through on, are that you will lose your deposit. As I said, it's always wise to have a lawyer check the offer before you sign it, because it might contain clauses that in some degree shift responsibility for defects in the property onto you as the purchaser. Okay, so the, 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 when I was speaking of a good reason to back out, it would be a reason such as an abuse, what they call the abusive works to the property or an extra. So that means, for example, a window that is in, is, is in the property that is not in the land registry plans or was built without any planning permission. And that is the seller's responsibility and this to rectify. So this, again, is it, it, this is the reason... What this is the reason why it is extremely important to to check that the offer that you are signing is carefully worded, because uh, let's say that you don't speak any Italian and you're very enthusiastic about buying a place and you're signing an offer with lots of little bit itty bitty clauses and wording that the estate agent might say, oh no, they don't mean anything, just sign, but. In that clause, they're, they're, they're in that contract, there could be a clause that states that you are accepting the property exactly as it is and you have seen it and you are happy with it. This does not exempt the seller fully from selling a property with defects, and I'll come on to that. But it, it's another reason why it is incredibly important to check that what you are signing does not exempt the seller in any way from having to rectify these issues and then therefore shift the responsibility onto you. So if if, if they, if I would I would prefer an offer to be a lot simpler rather than have um, a load of clauses which could um, shift the responsibility of these defects onto you. You can also insist on having a surveyor's report before making any formal offer. Before we proceed with any binding documents, then I want to instruct a surveyor, an architect to go through, go to the property and undertake all the relevant checks and provide me with a report stating whether there are any defects to the property, whether there have been any works um, done to the property without planning permissions or whether the land registry hasn't been updated, whether these can be rectified because sometimes you can get retroactive planning permission sometimes you can't and what the costs are and um, and then you send that to the seller and you can say I want all of these rectified before I sign anything. I would suggest that this is a sound idea because at least it brings to light any issues right from the start. I put it to Jessica that I might just decide to buy the property I'd found anyway notwithstanding the lack of permits for certain parts of the building. This is what she had to say. In the past few years, the law has become a lot more stringent 
And it is illegal for a notary to complete just to, to complete a deed of sale if he is aware of these issues. So a lot of the time, and not all notaries do this, but they will ask for confirmation that the that from from a surveyor. In some regions, they will actually ask for a surveyor's report themselves. Not all regions, and they will refuse to complete unless everything is put right. And I think here you have a crucial point: things that were quite normal decades ago are not so normal now, and the application of the law is becoming ever stricter with the likelihood that in the future you might find yourself unable to sell your property at all. This actually happened to some clients of Jessica's who had inherited a property that had a number of violations of the building code. When I asked the surveyor to go round before we, we were going to sell the property, he said he checked the floor plans and he also that were registered. He also went to the land registry in the town hall and he said to me, the whole kitchen is completely wrong. It's not what's been registered. And also this staircase is not supposed to be there. And in these situations, it is... Um, improbable, not impossible, uh, to be able to get a retroactive a pardon and retroactive planning permission. And in that case, the staircase, for example, the staircase will have to be taken down and it, the, the property has to be rectified, so put back to its original state. Now, putting things back to their original state essentially made the property unattractive for any prospective purchaser. All this might sound mind-bogglingly bad, but it really isn't. You just need to make sure that you get a surveyor's report before locking yourself into a transaction, and then you can assess the situation with the lawyer before proceeding. If you want to sell your property, and let's say the law changes again and it is obligatory in the whole of Italy for a surveyor's report to be done, then you might not be able to sell that property, or you will have to pay an extortionate amount of costs in putting the property right, plus penalties, plus town hall costs. It's just, to me, it's just not worth the risk. To me, it's just not worth the risk. So how do you get caught? Listen to this. It is, in theory, a criminal offence to uh, do work to the property and not have the relevant planning permission. So... Uh, we're speaking theoretically. Anyone could come round and just check the property. Someone from the town hall could come round and check the property and then uh, uh, report you to the carabinieri. Uh, or your neighbour, if you've had an argument with your neighbour, they could call up the carabinieri or the town hall and say, look, I'm aware that there, are, there, are, um, there have been works done to the property that have not had the relevant planning permission. Or they could say, that person's built an annex, it's an eyesore, and can you come round and uh, check that they've got the planning permissions. And remember one of the golden rules in small-town Italy. Whatever you are doing, someone is watching. You might not know everyone who lives around you, but you can be fairly sure that they know all about the foreigner who has just moved in. If you aren't convinced by what you've heard so far about the need to get a surveyor's report done before purchasing a property, it's time for the obligatory horror story. In Italy, as you know, is very bureaucratic and sometimes people turn a blind eye, but that's not always good for the future because when 
one procedure is to be followed, it is absolutely to be followed and there's no going around it and it could be incredibly expensive and stressful. And one of the uh, horror stories I wanted to share with you is uh, when I first started working in Italy, uh, my, my colleague was working on this case where these two British citizens had purchased this beautiful property, they thought their dream home and they moved to Italy. And uh, when they wanted to sell it a few years down the line, they discovered, only then did they discover, that the majority of the house was uh, built abusivamente, uh, so without any planning permission, to the point where it was unsellable. Like they would have had to knock the whole thing down. So they started legal proceedings against the people who sold it to them because they, obviously they hadn't declared anything. Um, and we're talking about over 10 years ago. So the laws have changed uh, somewhat and the notaries at that point would have turned a blind eye even if they had known about it. Anyway, they started court proceedings, which I wouldn't recommend to my worst enemy because 10 years later, the, the, the case was still going on. Uh, eventually they pulled out because they couldn't deal with the stress of it. And I, I, I'm, not, um, I'm not aware of what they've done with the property whether they're still living there um unfortunately i think one of them had cancer during these proceedings uh, so it's uh, it, i i you know i really wouldn't risk it and i wouldn't listen to anyone saying emma you know this is how we do it here don't worry you know we'll go to the land registry i know so and so who works there i'll just slip them 10 euros and everything will be okay i would never recommend it not not just as a lawyer but just as someone who's had experience of working in italy because it could turn out to be very nasty here we touch on one of italy's weakest points court cases take forever to come to a resolution. And over the arc of 10 years, people's lives can change and you might not even live to see it come to a conclusion. Personally, I'm of the idea that the best court cases are the ones you manage to avoid altogether. So please make sure you keep your eyes open and take good advice. Let's look at the preliminary contract. This is the optional next step in the process, which might even be combined with the initial offer, depending on how complicated this is. Jessica describes it as follows. Okay, so sometimes the formal offer that I spoke about before, if it's in great detail, sometimes it can be in great detail, it can be considered a preliminary contract, which is essentially uh, an in-depth document, um, which doesn't necessarily have to be prepared by a notary. I have prepared these documents before, which lists, which is a promise between the parties to buy and sell. And there, um, the proper deposit, a uh, larger deposit can be paid. And again, this will be considered what is known as the caparra, which will be used as a penalty. It, it, the caparra is used as a guarantee uh, for this, this, this to happen. So for the sale to happen, sorry. So um, there's always a risk that someone can just run off. The, the fact of the matter is that this preliminary contract, which is a promise to buy and sell, uh, will be registered. Um, if it's prepared by the notary, it is registered with the tax agency. So it becomes a proper legal document. So it can be used in court as evidence uh, against the party who pulls out, for example. And if, if, if that, um, if for example, you're the purchaser and the seller after signing this document decides to pull out for any reason, then you are entitled to double the caparra plus damages. 
So this document will essentially set out in greater detail how your property transaction will work. But by the time you get this far, you should already have negotiated the price of the property and had the all-important surveyor's report. And finally, we get to the completion. And this certainly requires a notary. These are famously expensive lawyers who deal mainly with transactions involving a transfer of assets. But their reputation of being expensive is at least partly due to the fact that they also have the role of collecting the taxes due on the transactions they are involved in. We'll get to that in a moment. First, let's have a bit of detail about what to expect on the day of completion. And just let me say, you really haven't lived in Italy until you've had the experience of a visit to the notary's office. Let's hear from Jessica again. And the notary will call both parties and say, we're ready to complete and he will fix a date for the signing of the final deed of sale. Uh, this will be prepared by the notary and um, it, it will be in Italian and he will call the parties to his office usually or if there's a mortgage involved, then it can also take place at the office of the bank. Now, the, sometimes this meeting is a bit of a circus and the buyer, the seller, uh, the estate agents will be there. The bank manager will be there. Sometimes I've been in, I've been in completions where uh, the whole village has been there and um, the notary will read out this very long deed of sale which describes who the sellers are, who the buyers are, what the property is. Um, all the works that have been done, all the planning permissions that have been obtained, um, any rights of way, any charges on the property and any other clauses that can be included. And there will also be tax declarations and other declarations on, this, on behalf of both the parties. Now, this document is obviously in Italian. So um, if you as the buyer want to sign it yourself, if you do not speak Italian, then this document will have to be translated into English. And the interpreter, um, who is the person who will have translated this document, will also have to be present. And most of the time after the whole Italian reading through, then the, the interpreter will have to read it in English as well. Sometimes they just say, okay, we, we, we agree not to have the English part read out. Um, now, uh, during, during this meeting, there will be lots of stops and starts because this is usually probably the first time the notary has read this document in detail. It's usually the notary's assistant who has written it. So there will be errors he finds or someone there saying, oh, no, there's an error here and all... And he will also be describing how the payment has been made. Um, so he has to insert, for example, the number of the check. Um, and also he will um, describe how the estate agents have been paid and the number of the invoices. So it is a very long meeting. But once the parties are happy with the contents, then they will sign uh, all pages of the the deed and they will also sign all the attachments such as the energy certificate the floor plans because both of them are, are stating that the floor plans are um, in conformity with the status of the property itself 
Yes, and you get to see one of the, I think probably the the best thing for me about going to a notary, which I've, I've done a few times uh, since I've been living here, is, is getting to see how a, a notary signs a document. Um, it's They have a flourish when they sign something. It's almost like a competition to see who can have the... The, the, long, the longest and biggest signature imaginable. Would you would you agree with me? <laughs> yeah, I do. But I mean, also, one, yeah, they they do, and uh, it's, it's just it's just it's very, it's very pompous, isn't it? All <laughs> going to the notary. It's a massive event. Um, it's 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 quite an experience. So I would I would always uh, recommend that the person go and sign in person just to be part of this experience because at the the end there's lots of handshaking, sometimes hugging, uh, unless there's been some tension throughout. I've also been in, um, situations where it has been a little tense going uh, up to the lead up, but, um, but usually it's a very happy occasion and, and everyone has to sign all their names. So, for example, I'm Jessica Georgia Zama. In England, I'm just Jessica Zama. I don't really use my middle name. In, in Italy, that's, my middle name is just as important as my first name. Well, yes, you've got to sign. I mean, even if your actual signature that you use, say, to, you know, on your credit cards or for, to sign a cheque, even if that's completely different, you have to sign your full name out, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And my, my colleague I worked with in Italy, she had three middle names so she had to write five names and it would take a long time for her to sign everything and it has to be legible so it can't yeah you can't just be your signature but once this has been done once it's all been signed and you then the you as the purchaser become the legal owner and you will have the keys um but you don't have to sign it I wanted to add if you you can avoid going through the circus and you can um, sign a power of attorney uh, authorizing someone in Italy to sign this for you. This last bit means that you can instruct a lawyer like Jessica to act for you, which will mean that you can avoid the cost of having a translator involved. Now let's look at the declarations that a purchaser has to make as part of the completion process. But as a purchaser, there are um, a couple of declarations that will be made. And the main one is the tax declaration. Now, the, uh, when you purchase a property, there will be a property transfer tax to pay, which if it is your main residence, uh, it's only 2% of the catastral value. Now, the the, the, the when, you are, when you are purchasing a property, uh, if you are declaring that the property is going to be used as a main residence, then this will be included in the deed. And um, you must, and I can't stress this enough, within 18 months of the deed being signed, register with your local town hall, with your comune, as a resident in that property. Ah, yes, tax. Confusion surrounding tax is one of the certainties of moving to Italy, and the reduction in the transfer tax to 2% if you transfer residency within 18 months is also a trap that many people have fallen into. This residency issue could become a serious problem for you unless you do actually intend to become resident in Italy. Because keep in mind that Italy taxes its residents on their worldwide incomes, And what's the difference between the resident transfer tax at 2% and the non-resident transfer tax at 9% might sound enormous, 
Keep in mind that the tax is calculated not on the price actually paid for the property, but on the cadastral value, which is typically much lower than the market value. It's difficult to give a rule of thumb as to the ratio of cadastral value to market value, but if you want to factor in this expense, you can ask your lawyer to calculate the taxes payable before you make your offer. Or you could even calculate it yourself from the details available at the Land Registry and using the formula we provide in our Spectrum Real Estate Guide. There is also a declaration that has to be made regarding your matrimonial property regime if you happen to be married, and this is relevant even if you are not jointly purchasing the property with your spouse. So when you are purchasing a prop- when you are purchasing a property, the notary will ask you if you're married. And if so, uh, what matrimonial property regime? Now, this makes sense in Italy, where the matrimonial property regime is entrenched. Um, So um, there is what is called the comunione dei beni, which is the default position for most spouses, and in which is communion of assets. If you are married under communion of assets, uh, if I, as the wife, purchase a property without my husband, uh, then my husband has a right to 50% of that property. Now, you can then sign a separation of assets, separation dei beni, and choose uh, to, set, as, as, it's, as the title suggests, separate your assets, which means that I, as the wife, can purchase any property I like, and my husband will have no rights to the assets that I purchase following the marriage. Now, why is this relevant? Uh, because most notaries will consider... Um, let's say English nationals when they are married, uh, if they are married, to be in communion of assets regime, which because it's the default position. Because if if the if the purchaser doesn't know what to say, then the notary will just assume communion of assets. Uh, and I have dealt in a case where um, only one of the spouses has purchased a property and the notary has just written down communion of assets. Now, that person didn't know what that meant. And so he thought he was buying a property by himself, but actually his wife had a right to 50% of that property. It, it, it caused complications in that person's inheritance. The true regime that we state um, that uh, English nationals have when getting married in England is a separation of assets because there's no such regime in England at the moment. So what we we advise a notary that in England people are married in the equivalent of a separation of assets regime. So it is incredibly important that the notary is made aware of that. Obviously it doesn't really matter if both uh, a wife and husband are purchasing a property but it does it does matter if only one of them is purchasing the property. Yeah, I, I remember that happened to me as well because I um, uh, I, I got married uh, somewhere outside of um, outside of Italy, and that was one of the questions that the notary went through at the beginning. And I remember him saying at the time, "You, uh, I consider you to be in the regime that you would have been in in the country that you got married in." Um, mm-hmm. And then, as you said, of course, that I mean that was New Zealand in my case, and 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 there was there really isn't any equivalent concept and so we uh, we made you know we discussed it and we we made the choice of actually we we did this uh, declaration of separazione bene because it made sense in, in our case and so if you are moving 
um, you know, if you are moving long term to Italy and this is going to be, you know, the, your your main asset, this is definitely something that you want to have a proper discussion with, you know, with a lawyer about in order to understand what it means and, and you know, which um, uh, which regime makes makes sense for you. Um, yeah. Again, all of those little things that you forget about over the years, and then they come back to haunt you later on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all your all your beneficiaries when when you come to pass. But this is just another example of why it is so important to really understand what you are signing. That 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 deed is 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 not just Italian; it's archaic legalese Italian. So even if you are signing a power of attorney authorizing someone to sign your behalf it does not exempt you from any of the responsibilities because you are the one making those declarations so you have to have someone a lawyer explain every single point um, that is being made all the declarations that are being made not only by you but also the seller any clause that they might be which could potentially exempt the seller from any damages that you that he his behavior may cause you so there are a lot of examples as to why um that i've experienced as to why you should have legal advice independent legal advice because the notary is um he's a public official and he is supposed to be completely independent so even if for example he sees something that um that 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 might be um that might benefit one party rather than the other. He can't. He can't then go to the other party and advise them. He has to be completely impartial. It's it's best in these situations to have um, independent legal advice. Jessica's contact details are in the show notes, but briefly, her email address is Jessica at buckles law. .co.uk. I suppose if there is an overarching message from this podcast, it is that you should always make sure that you have fully understood the consequences of the decisions you are making. But please don't let any of these issues put you off. It is all perfectly manageable, but it pays to take your time and get good advice throughout the process. As a final point, if you are considering transferring your residency to Italy, whether or not you are also going to be buying a property, then get in touch with me and we can discuss the whole process and ensure that you get the right advice and the best possible outcome. That wraps it up for this episode. My thanks to Nikki Taylor and Jessica Zama for agreeing to be interviewed. And, of course, thanks to you for listening. Please feel free to get in touch with suggestions or comments. Just Google Andrew Lawford Spectrum to find my contact details. Until next time, goodbye for now.